Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Good morning, good morning. It's been a good day at church so far, right? It has been so good. And you know what? I, I kind of secretly love that it's storming outside because I think it is a great picture of, of the church, of Jesus, that it is storming outside, but there is peace and security inside. Amen? It is going to be a good morning. Now, if you and I have not had the chance to meet and sit over coffee, my name is Liz Griffin. This is my husband, J.D. Griffin. And he and I have the privilege and honor of being pastors here at Antioch Austin. And something that you may not know about us is that we are very competitive people. Okay? We are competitive people. (laughs) And today, I feel like winning. Okay? And I feel like beating J.D. at his own game today. So if you have noticed when he preaches... He likes to encourage you to engage with him, okay, because church is a team sport, all right? You're not here to watch me. We are in this together. So I'd like to beat J.D. at his own game by having the most participatory Sunday with the audience together that we've had yet, okay? So can you help me? I like this. I'm feeling good about this morning, okay? Sorry, babe. Sorry, but I'm going to win this one, okay? Are you ready? Hey, Sophie, babes, can you run me my water right there? Thank you. This is my gorgeous daughter, Sophie. And I got got to tell you, my kids prayed over me this morning, prayed for this message, because what we do, we do as a family, and I'm feeling good about some of the things my kids prayed for you guys this morning that God would do in your lives. Now, like J.D. mentioned, we have been in a series called Taking Ground, We've been talking about this idea of enlarging the place of our tent, of taking ground in our lives, taking ground in the things God's promised us, in the kingdom. And it has been a great series. Have y'all liked it? It has been so good. We talked about, uh, David talked to us about David. I looked at you, distracted me. You're taking a picture. (laughs) Paparazzi on the front row. Okay. You're just trying to up your Instagram game. You're trying to outdo me on that too. No, but J.D. talked to us about um, the story of David and Saul and this concept of the unseen shapes the scene, that what's happening on our inner life, what's happening internally when no one's watching impacts what happens when everyone's watching. And then last week we talked about the fuel for our breakthrough and the power that when we remember our stories, when we take time to acknowledge and look at what God has done in us in the past, faith stirs in our spirit because we remember that what God has done, he will continue to do, that he's been faithful and he has been good to us, and we remember who he has been so that we have faith and who he will continue to be to us. And this morning, uh, you know, I want to kind of talk, as, as I was hearing these messages and, and listening, um, God really highlighted something to me, and I, my biggest takeaway is this, in this idea of taking ground, that our alignment is more important than our assignment, all right? That our alignment is more important than our assignment. That far more important than what God has called you to do, than the desire in your heart, than the dream in your heart, is how you are aligned with God in the process. That we are aligned with who God says he is, his character, that our lives are aligned with scripture. And that as we take ground, we're not focused on completing our assignment, but strengthening our alignment. 
And so this morning, I felt like God gave me a word to share with you guys. Are you ready for that? Can you hang with me for the next 30 minutes? All right, team sport. We're doing good this morning, guys. Okay, so my message is simply titled this, Aligning Yourself with Hope. Aligning Yourself with Hope. I want to start off by reading Romans 4, 18 through 21, and it says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Now, if you're new to church, you may not know who Abraham and Sarah are that this scripture is referring to, and that's okay. You'll walk out today with an understanding of who they are and what their story is. But if you're like me, you may have grown up hearing a million sermons about Abraham and Sarah. You may be able to recite their story inside and out. And there's reasons for that. Abraham is referred to as one of the fathers of our faith. He was the first Hebrew. Jesus is in Abraham's lineage. He's a key figure in Christian history. But I think one of the main reasons that we hear about Abraham and Sarah so much is because no matter who you are or where you're from, you can relate to their story. Because ultimately, the story of Abraham and Sarah is a story about waiting. It's a story about having a desire, having a promise, having a dream, and waiting for it to come to pass. And I know that in a room like this, we're all waiting for something. And it may be different things. It could be waiting for healing in your body. It could be waiting for a new job that's going to pay the bills. It could be waiting for God to give you a fresh promise. Maybe you say, I don't even have a dream. I don't even have a promise. Maybe you're waiting for God to deposit that in you, waiting for a spouse, waiting to get married, waiting for a baby, whatever it is, we are all waiting for something. And waiting can be hard. There's something that jumps out to me in the scripture, which says, in the process of Abraham waiting, it says, against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. He waited in hope. Because what is the natural tendency of all of us is as we're waiting, we began to feel hopeless. You may be sitting out there hearing me talk and being like, oh, no, don't talk about dreams. It just brings up pain. It brings up disappointment. It brings up frustration because waiting is hard. And over time, we begin to feel not hopeful but hopeless. When the dream is first born, you're like, yes, this is going to be great. You have these big dreams for your life, and it's fresh, and it's full of energy. And then over time, you feel hopeless. It's not like one day you wake up and be like, ah, forget it. I'm not going to believe God anymore. I'm going to choose to be hopeless. No, hopelessness is gradual. Do you know how you get into a place of hopelessness? You simply, over time, begin to hope less. On Monday, you hope a little bit less than you did on Sunday. Tuesday, you hope a little bit less. Days turn to weeks, turns to months of just gradually hoping less until you find yourself sitting there looking at the promises of God, looking at the destiny of God, the kingdom areas that you feel called to take ground in, And you feel hopeless because over time, you hoped less. Now, what I love about this scripture is that we see 
Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So how did Abraham and Sarah do it? How did they take ground without losing hope? And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to look at. Are you, are you ready? Are you in? All right. Okay, go team. So four realities. When I look at the scripture, when I look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, that stand out to me. Four realities that they had to face to see the promises of God fulfilled. The first reality is the reality of the unknown. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God promised, he said, go, and I will make you a great nation. Now, I'm not dumb, but I'm not the smartest person in the room. One thing I do know, I was a political science major. Anyone else? All right, got one or two. All right, we're the nerds in the room. That's cool, that's fine. I'm secure in that. But one thing I do know is that a nation is comprised of two main parts, people and a place. And when God called Abraham out and said, go, take action, walk out in faith, because I'm going to give you this promise of a nation, when he told him to step out and do it, guess what? They were barren. They had no descendants. They had no people, and they had no idea where they were going. God said, go, I'm going to turn you into a nation. Start taking action now, even though you don't have the two key components that in the natural it looks like you should have to see this happen. He said, go, I'm going to make you a nation, but I have no people, and you have no place. And isn't that how God works sometimes? He gives us a promise, but not the plan. He says, go, take action, obey, and along the way, I'll show you. They had no people and no place. What an irony of their journey that God promises them a nation, but they're barren, and they have no idea. They're basically starting off alone and lost which is not the most secure way to start a journey. But, you know, have y'all ever been in that place where you feel like God gives you a promise but not the plan? I have unfortunately been there more often than I would like. It seems to be a pattern in my life. Um, and one thing comes to mind, in 2003, when I was 22 and J.D. was 23, we were little babies, uh, we moved to Seattle to plant church. And... You know, the first few years, it was really hard. We were young. We were learning as we went. But over time, Seattle really began to feel like home. Man, we loved what God was doing in the city. He was doing amazing things in people's lives, amazing things in our lives. Our kids were born there. We had a great home. We had great friendships. Our church started doing really well, was growing, was thriving. Things were happening. And life was finally like, all right, this is feeling good. This is good. Our roots are here. All right, we're ready to take off now. And one morning, I was spending time with God. I was sitting on my couch. I was looking out my window, which overlooks the water and the mountains because everything in the Northwest is gorgeous. I was sitting there, and I was spending time with Jesus. And out of what felt like nowhere, God spoke to me. And he said, Liz, you did what I asked you to do. You came. You planted a church. It's growing. It's thriving. But now it's time to move on to the next thing. And I kind of, I sat there and I wrote it down, and it certainly is not what I expected nor wanted to hear, because like I said, we were loving our life in Seattle. So I wrote it down, 
and I pushed my journal aside, and I said, God, if that was you, you need to tell JD, because I don't want to just casually toss that up, like, hey, I think maybe God has something different for us. So a week goes by, and I don't tell anyone about what happened or what God had spoken to me, and JD goes out for a run. And when he comes back, he walks in the door, and he goes, babe, don't freak out, because Apparently, I'm the one out of the two who freaks out. He's the overreactor. I'm not. But, you know, all right. It's what he said. He said, babe, don't freak out. And I'm like, okay, because that's what I usually do. Um, No. So, babe, don't freak out. When I was running, I felt like God, out of the blue, spoke to me. I felt like he said, J.D., you did what I asked you to do. You came to Seattle. You planted a church. And now it's healthy, it's thriving, it's growing, and it's time for you to move on. Hello. God said the same thing to us at different times. So I go and I get my journal, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hate that this is God, but this sounds like God. You know, and so we pull in our friends and our family, and over time we pull in the board, and everyone's like, yes, it's crazy, it's unexpected, but it clearly seems like what God is speaking to you guys. So it was a year and a half of J.D. and I transitioning out of Seattle, raising up new leaders, and the process of that left us asking, okay, God, what's next? What do we do now? And we had no idea. We felt like God began depositing some sort of big ideas. You know, sometimes it's not a tangible promise. It's just a sense. It's an intuition. It's, it's like I feel like this way, somewhere over here is where we're going, somewhere over here in these avenues and arenas are the things that God wants to do. And so he was speaking to us, but he wasn't necessarily dropping down a plan. We thought for a while maybe we would go to um, Australia and plan a church. We had several different ideas. Maybe we're supposed to go go into business. We didn't really know. But the time came for us to go. And the thing that felt most peaceful and that, you know, seemed to be the best semblance of what God was speaking was to go to San Diego and serve Antioch's church there. So we load up the kids and the dog, and we drive from Seattle down to San Diego. And we spend six months in San Diego serving the church there. And then God drops the, nez- the, the next puzzle piece. And two weeks after God began to speak to us about Waco, we're in the car moving to Waco. And we spent four years serving the church there, still asking, yeah, go Waco. As J.D. likes to say, the New York of the South. That's what he calls it. Uh, man of faith. Man of faith. And... Um, Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, But God began to speak to us about Austin. And as soon as Austin came into place, all the other things about our journey started making sense. The things that God was teaching us in Seattle, the things that we learned serving under other pastors in California, serving in Waco were all things that he was setting up in our lives to be doing this here and now. But just like Abraham and Sarah, in all of our lives, we have a plan, we have a promise, but not always a plan. And if we're going to see the promises of God come to pass, we have to be willing to face the unknown, right? So much of mine and Jay's story is we don't know, but we're going to go. That wasn't supposed to rhyme, but it did. Um, Send it. We don't know, but we're going to go, right? We have to be willing to face the unknown. Another reality, the second reality that we see Abraham and Sarah Um, facing in this passage, do you remember the scripture at the beginning? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Without weakening in his face, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Abraham and Sarah had to face the facts. Sometimes 
we can have a tendency to try to be overly spiritual and ignore the reality of what's happening in our lives. Abraham said, yeah, God promised this. The fact is, I'm as good as dead. Like, I can't have a child. Sarah is 90 years old. She, her womb is as good as dead. They faced the facts. They didn't ignore the significance of what God would have to do in their lives. They faced it. And a lot of us are facing facts in this room. I don't know if J.D. mentioned it or not, but on your chair is a prayer card. Because we stand with each other in prayer. We believe for God for breakthrough. And when you fill these things out and they get prayed for by our staff and our teams, this is you writing down, hey, this is me facing my facts. The fact that there's cancer in your body. Maybe the fact that your marriage is falling apart. Facing the facts saying, you know what, my kids are a mess. The fact of I don't have a job. The fact that maybe you're wrestling through your sexual identity or orientation. We are facing the facts. We don't ignore the hardship and the reality because hoping is hard. That's why so often we get hopeless. But just like Abraham and Sarah, we have to face the facts of that this is the reality. This is the magnitude of the miracle that it's going to take for this promise to come to pass. And if you were here this fall, I shared a sermon, or in a a sermon I did, I shared a little bit about my my journey with anxiety and anxiety. It was about a year and a half that I battled really debilitating anxiety. Me facing my facts was saying, God, I can't get through a single day without an onslaught and this just oppressive lack of clear head, lack of being able to think and do. I mean, I could, guys, I couldn't get through a single day without just like gritting my teeth and just trying to make it. My facts were really, really hard in that season. But God came through, right? We face our facts. Abraham faced his facts. I faced my facts and said, God, this is it. This is the reality of what I'm feeling, sensing. God wants us to be honest with him and engage and believe even in the midst of our facts. And I don't know what facts you're facing today, but I know that God wants to face them alongside you because he cares about your alignment, not just your assignment. So how did Abraham and Sarah face the facts of, okay, we are really old? How did they face those facts with hope, right? And I think it's because they were firm believers in the third reality, which is this. The third reality is the reality of the supernatural. Because when we face the facts, with hope. We face them with hope because we serve a God not of the natural but of the supernatural. So we know whatever's happening in the natural cannot hold a candle to what's going to happen when God with his supernatural power touches what's going on. Because what Abraham knew is that maybe his body is as good as dead but he serves a God who can raise the dead. Amen? That maybe you have sickness but in a moment it can turn to healing. Your anxiety can turn to joy. Your depression can turn to peace. Your loneliness can turn to community and connection. Your financial hardship, when met with the supernatural power of God, can turn to a lifestyle of generosity. Because you and I, we are not, as followers of Jesus, we are not governed by the natural. We follow a God of the supernatural, and we believe that at any moment, he can touch our situation, can touch our facts, and change them. Now... It's all well and good, right? But the reality is that that's a really hard um, reality to live in. 
you and I, we prefer the reality of the natural because we get some sort of sense of control. It's something that we can somewhat, well, maybe I can adjust the facts. Maybe I can tweak some things, right? Because we have no supernatural control, and we don't really have control of the natural, but we like to think we do. You know, and so that's a weak spot for us is that we like to stay in the natural because it gives us an element of control, a false sense of security. And Abraham and Sarah, they walked through that same thing. You see, Abraham was 75 years old when God first promised that he was going to make him a nation. At age 90, 15 years later, he sends a messenger to remind him, Abraham, this is what I spoke. You're not losing your mind. This is the promise for your life. It wasn't until he was 100 and Sarah was 90, that's 25 years of waiting, that Isaac was born. And they had moments in the journey where they said, you know what, I don't want to hope, I want to help, right? And that is the biggest mistake we can make, is instead of hoping, we try helping. And what happened was Sarah had a maid named Hagar, and she said, all right, well, obviously, I can't have a baby. This isn't working. Abraham, you sleep with my servant, get her pregnant, and then she'll, like, have a baby for us, right? Abraham says, okay. So Hagar gets pregnant with Abraham's baby, right? Very quickly, as you can imagine, they realize, well, that wasn't very helpful, right? Things got complicated. Talk about drama, drama in the tents, drama in the camp, okay? It was complicated. And Abraham and Sarah quickly realized, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. And they repented and they said, God, we are sorry. We should never have tried to circumvent the process. And they had weak spots where they said, you know, we're going to try to figure this out ourselves. Because obviously God is like forgotten how to, you know, be God and make stuff happen. So we're going to try to do it for him. But you know what? Can I say a secret to all of you out here who are waiting If you are sitting in the room, you're waiting for a promise, you're waiting for a dream, and you're tempted to try to make it happen, let me tell you a secret. If you don't quit, you win. And the kingdom of God, if you don't quit, you win. And that's what Abraham and Sarah held on to. They said, all right, we stumbled, but we're going to get back up, and we're going to keep believing. And we're going to believe that our faith, just holding on to the promise, and we're going to win in the end. So at 100... And age 90, Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90, the baby's born, right? Isaac comes. It is literally a miracle. But just when you think the suspense of the story is over, God does something unthinkable. He says, Abraham, take your son, go up to the mountain, and sacrifice him. Sacrifice him to me. Why on earth would God do that? Take the thing you've been investing in, the thing you've been believing for, the thing you have cried yourself to sleep at night longing for. Take it. Take the fruit of it. Take the inheritance of it and give it back to me. Why would God ask him to do that? I think it's because God wanted to solidify in Abraham one more time that his hope was not in Isaac. His hope was not in the promise. His hope was not in the assignment being completed, that his hope was in God. And I think, I think God asked Abraham to do that, to solidify that one more time, that your hope is not in your son now. Your hope remains in me. That just because you're starting to see some of the fruit, I am still your hope. Now, God provides a different sacrifice. Abraham does not sacrifice Isaac. Isaac lives. 
But I think there's moments in all of our stories and all of our journeys where God's going to say, hey, do you believe me enough to give this back to me? Do you believe me enough to put it back on the altar? Has the assignment become your God now, or am I still your God? And I love what Scripture says about Abraham in this moment, okay? Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham's hope was in Christ, and he hoped in a supernatural God and said, well, you know what? God can raise the dead. Maybe I'm putting something back on the altar, but God can do something with it. God touched my natural once before. He'll do it again. It's like what J.D. was talking about, remembering our stories, remembering what God has done and gives us faith to do the next thing he's calling us to do. And I think God's asking some of us this morning, will you have that same response of hope? If God doesn't fulfill the promise the way you think he should, in the time frame you think he should, the way in which you'd like to see it happen, will you still hope? Will you still wait and hope? Abraham did. And I think he could do that because of the fourth reality that we're going to talk about today. And that fourth reality is the reality of eternity. You see, the eternal supersedes the natural every time. You and I only see a small portion of the story. You know, we hear this story and we think, all right, they had a baby at 190. They had a baby. What a miracle. And you know what? It is a miracle. But the baby wasn't the promise. That I, Abraham and Sarah would be fathers and mothers of a generation, of a nation, that they would have more descendants than the stars in the sky and the grains of the sand. That was the promise. Abraham and Sarah saw a miracle, but they didn't see the promise. But what God was doing in Abraham and Sarah, the story he was telling through their lives, was too great to be seen in a single lifetime. And I think sometimes, even though we're frustrated in the waiting, it's because what God is wanting to do in us is far greater than what can fit in a decade. It's far bigger than what can fit even in your lifetime. See, God's promises, it's eternal. He's not thinking, oh, before you retire, how much, can we, how much promise can we put in? No, he's saying, I'm birthing seeds of promise, of destiny, of inheritance that are going to span centuries, that are going to cross continents. Uh, he's not looking in our small time frame because there's a reality of eternity that far supersedes the natural. And that is how he kept some hope. Hebrews 11, I encourage you to read it. We refer to it often as the Hall of Faith, and it's a list of men and women who believed God. And I encourage you to read it, but I want to read a portion of it now. It's Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They welcomed it. From a distance. It could be that some of the ground 
God wants to take through your life and in your life, to some degree, may still be a little distant. And that's okay. And I'm so challenged because you know what? I read that, and I think they welcomed it from a distance. And if I'm totally honest, my tendency would be to clench my, I'm not going to wave at it from a distance and be like, thank you, God, that you're faithful. My tendency is to clench my fist and demand, God, no, now. I don't want it over there. I want it here. I want it now. I don't want to keep waiting. I don't want it distant. I want it near. But thank God that he doesn't let us sell ourselves short because we don't always grasp eternity for what it is. Amen? And he didn't let that be true of Abraham and Sarah. Now, we can, in our waiting, feel neglected. It's easy to be like, God forgot me. You know what? Our adoption took us six years. It was supposed to take nine months. It took six years. And in those six years, I saw numerous friends and, um, well, not family, but just different friends and people who we knew that were in the adoption journey too. We saw them bring home their kids right? And they started after us. They got the kids before us. It's easy to feel neglected, like God is forgotten. But you know what? You're not neglected. You're selected. God did not neglect me and my family. He had a plan that I didn't know and understand, and I won't get into the twins' story, but that was the timing that allowed us to get the twins. God has not forgotten you. He has not left you, waited, and moved on to somebody else. We are selected to tell the God story, not the story that we think. And it's easy to feel cheated. In our culture and the things we see, it's easy to be like, man, doing things God's way, I feel cheated. You're waiting, you're dreaming, you're believing, and you feel like you're missing out, right? Maybe, I'm going to be real frank, maybe you feel cheated on intimacy and pleasure because you can't have sex with people you're not married to. Maybe you feel cheated Because you're doing things the right way, you're pursuing your career with integrity, and you're watching people who are abusing power, who are fidgeting with numbers, who are stepping on the backs of people around them to get what they want, and they're the ones getting promoted, they're the ones getting um, the career goals that you have, and you're like, man, I'm doing things the right way, and I'm being cheated of the blessing, I'm being cheated of the gift, but you know what? The people of God are never cheated. We are never cheated. We are chosen to tell a bigger story. We are chosen to tell the story of a supernatural God who invades the natural. We can face the facts, and we live in hope because we know that we are chosen. We may not understand. We may not understand all that God's doing, but we know that we are chosen to tell a story, to take ground That's not just being taken in this month, but we're taking ground not just in this next job interview or on this first date. We're taking ground that will span a generation. And we have this morning the opportunity to align ourselves with hope. And the band can go ahead and come up. And you guys can go ahead and stand up if you'd like. But we have the opportunity to align ourselves with hope. Because like we said from the beginning, it's about the alignment. It's not about the assignment. This aspect of taking ground in your life, in in your spheres of influence, in your family, we have the opportunity to align. And there's some people in this room, and you're like, Liz, that's all great, but I'm stuck on reality number one, which is facing the facts. I can't get past the facts. All I can see is that I'm single, or all I can see is that my marriage is falling apart or that I didn't get into the grad program I was hoping for, or I will never have enough money to get out of the red into the black. Some of you are just looking facts square in the face, and you know what? That's hard. 
we get that it's hard and we want to stand with you this morning as you face those facts. We're going to have a prayer team. Go ahead and come up. If you're on the prayer team, you can go ahead and line up. And if that's you this morning, we invite you to come and pray because we want to face the facts alongside you. We want to pray that the God of the supernatural touches your natural. Because you know what? Today may be the day. We're talking about waiting, but today could be the day that the healing comes, that the breakthrough happens, right? Because we wait in hope. We wait with expectation. That's who we are as a people. Another group I want to take time to pray for today is maybe people who say, I just need an eternal perspective. The things I'm going through, whether it's hardships or breakthroughs, maybe you say, I just need eternal perspective. I'm lost in the waiting. I'm feeling hopeless in the waiting. And we want to believe with you that God would meet you in that place, that he would encourage you, he'd stir your faith, that you would have breakthrough in the waiting. But you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up one last point, which is that if you don't know this God that Abraham knew, none of these other things matter, right? All of this hinges on knowing this God Abraham and Sarah knew. And I know that there might be some people in here who don't know him. You don't know Jesus. But he wants to know you because he has that eternal plan and purpose for your life. He has the power to engage the facts you're facing. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And you know what? That means you doesn't matter how hopeless, how depressed, how heavy you feel this morning. There is a God who is waiting to be aligned with you. And I'm going to ask everyone just to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you don't know this God who is faithful and good that Abraham knew, and you'd like to meet him today, I just want to ask you to boldly raise your hand. Because he's waiting to meet you. And if that's you today saying, yes, I need to know this God of Abraham, I just want you to pray along with me to repeat this, repeat this prayer to yourself. Jesus, I choose to follow you. I choose to make you the Lord of my life. I receive what you did on the cross. I receive your eternal plan, your kingdom plan for my life. God, come and make me new. I choose to follow you. I commit all my plans and dreams to you. And I ask for your plans and your dreams. And God, I just pray over everyone else in this room. For everyone in the waiting, everyone knee-deep, in their facts. God, I ask that hope would emerge, that hope would be our anthem today. In Jesus' name, God, that you would touch the facts with your supernatural and you would bring healing, you would bring restoration, you would bring an eternity perspective. God, we say we need you and we love you and we thank you that just as you were faithful to Abraham and Sarah, you will be faithful to us. 
that we can trust you. That scripture says those who hope in you will never be put to shame. So God, we say we hope in you. Would you meet us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.